it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have a special guest. Today, we have Evan from My Money Marathon. He is joining us to talk about ETF investing. So this is something we haven't covered a whole lot on, and Evan knows way more about ETFs than I do. And Andrew is not going to be joining us tonight. He is actually getting ready to get married. So Evan has been kind enough to kind of fill in for Andrew. Andrew will be back. He's going to be on his honeymoon as well as getting married next week. And so we got a lot going on. So Evan was kind enough to to fill in for Andrew. So Evan, thank you for coming back to the show. We are excited to talk today. So say hi to everybody and then we can chat. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thank you so much for having me back. It was awesome last time. It was great to chat with you guys, and I'm excited to do it again. Yeah, we are too. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, let's start talking about ETFs. So this is something that Andrew and I haven't covered a whole lot. We're more stock pickers, and Mm -hmm. so I think this would be a a really good conversation for a lot of people out there that are maybe not as familiar with ETFs and that feel like this is a good way for them to go. And so we want to kind of try to provide as much guidance as we can for different kinds of investing. And so I guess let's start off with explaining what is an ETF? Like wh- how are they structured? What is an ETF? Like what does the acronym stand for and what are they? Yeah. Um, so an ETF stands for an exchange traded fund, which sounds extremely fancy and complicated, but it's definitely not. So to start a fund is essentially just an amalgamation of individual stocks. So instead of going out and buying Apple individually and Microsoft individually, for example, you would buy both of those in a single fund or you would buy dozens of stocks or hundreds or thousands of stocks at one time in a single stock. And that is a fund. And the fact that it's an exchange traded fund solely means that you can purchase and trade, buy and sell that fund on the New York Stock Exchange, for example, which is the main exchange in in the U.S. So you can just trade it as you would an individual stock and you're getting those thousands and hundreds of companies at the same time. So Say, for example, Microsoft makes up 1% of a fund and you purchase one share of that fund, then 1% of the money you put into that fund is going into Microsoft. So you still have direct ownership of all of the underlying stocks, but you're doing it through one overall fund. Okay. All right. So I've heard that a lot of people throw out the term index fund. So what is the difference between an index fund and an ETF? Yeah. So an index fund is, of course, a type of ETF. 
the main point of an index fund is to track some sort of an index. So an index in the stock market is a group of stocks that is meant to track the overall market. So for example, if you have an index fund that is meant to track the index, the S&P 500, which is the most common, well-known, overall agreed as the most accurate of tracking the overall market. If you purchase an index fund that tracks the S&P 500, then you're getting all of the stocks that make up S&P 500 in a single fund. So through a single stock. Okay. So let me ask the dumb question. Can you buy an ETF that tracks an index? Yes. Yes, you can. For example, the one that, that I love, not that they're necessarily that different, but the one that I personally invest in is VOO tracks the S&P 500 has low expense ratio. And we'll talk about all that sort of stuff, but that one tracks the S&P 500 index specifically. All right. So how does one go about deciding what are good ETFs? Like what are some of the things that you can, like, how can you, for lack of a better word, analyze an ETF Mm -hmm. to find like, what are the good things to look for? And what are the things you should look for that you should want to avoid, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. So the first thing I'd say to look for is what is your overall goal with purchasing this fund? So, for example, if your overall goal is just to diversify your portfolio, to invest in many different stocks so that a single stock shooting up or down isn't going to drastically fluctuate or affect your overall portfolio. If your goal is diversification, then you may want to invest in a fund like VOO that invests in hundreds or thousands of underlying stocks. Because, for example, the largest stock that makes up the S&P 500 is Apple, and I believe it's around like 7 or so percent of the S&P 500 currently. So even if Apple went bankrupt tomorrow, absolutely to zero, that would only drop that stock by 7%. So horrible worst-case scenario, it's still not going to drop that drastically. So if you're looking for a diversification, that can be a great thing to look for. You can also choose your stock based on things that you're interested in. So, for example, if you're interested in green energy or electric vehicles or oil and gas, whatever you might be interested in, you can find a fund that will track that sort of asset class, that overall asset class. And you can get exposed to those sorts of stocks easily without picking individual stocks that way. So depending on what your goal might be or high dividends, it'll invest. A fund might focus on investing in a bunch of stocks that have very high dividend returns, and you can just invest in one single fund and get higher dividends than you may otherwise. Another huge factor to look for that's very important in a fund is the expense ratio, which is essentially just the fees that you pay annually to own that fund because a fund has to be managed by somebody. They have to, whether they do it through computers, through an automated sequence, or whether they're manually picking stocks in and out of the fund, some expense has to be used to manage the fund and have stocks go in and out of it and balance it over time. And so you have to pay for those management fees through an expense ratio. Usually you want to look for an expense ratio very, very low. So we're talking as low as 0.03%. So 0.03% of, (laughs) yes, yeah, extremely low. Thank goodness. So 0.03% of however much value you own of that stock is how much you'll pay. So if you owned a hundred dollars, you would only be paying what three cents to own that stock. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So there will be some funds that have higher expense ratios because they may require a lot more management. So the last thing I'd say to look for would be historical performance. So look back, see how it's performed, preferably over decades or even a century. For example, you can look back and see how the S&P 500 has performed for over 150 years now, I think like 153 years. 
So you can see historical performance very easily. If a fund has only been around for a year or two and you can't really see that far back, then you may want to at least give it a few years and see how it fleshes out, how it handles the supply chain issues that we're having, possible future recession, all that sort of stuff. And you don't want to take too much of a bet on it necessarily. Right. So how would you, like, where would you go to investigate a particular ETF and what are you looking for like composition wise? Like if you're looking at the VOO one that you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. like who sells that and how do you find out information about that and what kind of information would you look for? Like what's under the hood kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So VOO, for example, to follow with that thread is owned by Vanguard, which is a very large investment firm that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, but the main place that you would go to look it up would be just Google or Yahoo Finance is a great place to look it up. And you can find pretty much all the info that you need to know about it. If you want, you can also go directly to the investment firm's website. So in this case, you could go directly to Vanguard's website and they'll tell you past historical performance, all the assets that make it up, all the stocks that make it up, all the ratios, the goal of the ETF as a whole. You can find out pretty much everything that you need to know about it. And that'll also give you a good idea, like you're mentioning, the composition of the ETF. So, for example, nowadays, tech stocks tend to have extremely large market caps. So for funds that are weighted by market cap, meaning the larger the market cap, the the more of the fund that it makes up, the larger weight it gets in that fund. Since so many funds are so weighted towards tech stocks right now, you may be worried about the volatility of tech stocks, or you may be worried about the future of tech stocks, and you may not want to be too exposed to them. So you may want to look for a fund that has assets more evenly distributed, possibly not weighted by market cap or more focused towards some other asset classes other than information technology and and overall tech stocks. But you could find pretty much all the information you need just for free on Yahoo Finance, Google Finance, or whoever that investment firm's website is. Right. Okay. So it sounds like you can, a little bit like the world's your oyster, like if you want to build a portfolio with ETFs, in a wide range of different kinds of either asset classes or industries, or even probably, I'm guessing, even globally, you could probably build something like that. I, I remember reading somebody that I follow, they had, I think it was eight to 10 different ETFs, and they basically had it structured like they had large cap, and then they had mid cap, and then they had value, and they had small cap, and they had some emerging markets, and they had some developed markets. And so they kind of had this mixture of, of things from all over the world, so they could try to kind of capture all that without having the stress of of having to try to pick an individual stock in Indonesia and India and somewhere in Asia and South America, for example, they could just use those ETFs to try to capture some of the best of, of those different places. Is that kind of an accurate statement? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's kind of interesting how usually when we think of diversification, like how I talked about earlier, you're just diversifying through individual stocks, but like you just pointed out, you can diversify with funds in and of themselves so that if you're worried about maybe the future of South America, you don't want to be invested in a fund that focuses just on South America, but you also want to try and take advantage of future gains that they may or may not have. Mm-hmm. But to be diversified, you also have a fund in other countries and of course in the U S and everything. So you can diversify with the funds. Me personally, and, and what I tend to recommend at my money marathon is just focusing on the S&P 500. Of course, that's not you know what everybody has to do by any means. Mm-hmm. But just looking back at historical performance and ease of use and ease of investing, 
you're going to get the best performance again, historically over the 150 years that we have to analyze the returns from the SP 500 and just being able to invest in a single fund and be done with it. You know, there's several funds that track the SP 500. So whichever one you choose, you can just invest in one fund and be totally done with it. But the fun thing about ETFs is like you were saying, without having to pick individual stocks, for example, me, I am someone that's very into electric vehicles. I definitely believe in the future of them. I believe in the current state of them, even if they're not perfect by any means, they're still in a really good place. And I definitely believe in them and being able to focus on electric vehicles. If I wanted to with a single fund without having to face the massive volatility of Tesla, for example, or the, the, how far down loose it is currently, I could invest in all those and several dozens more electric vehicle stocks at one time, just through a single fund. But yeah, you can do a nice amount of diversification with Mm -hmm. funds as well. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I think I like that idea. And I think one of the things that's kind of interesting about that idea is that you can dip your toes, for example, into, for example, electric vehicles. If you really are interested in the space, but you're not sure which company you want to try to invest in, you could use something like an ETF to 
try to dip your toes into the sector and maybe only have 1% of your portfolio allocated to that particular position. So it's not like you're making a, a full full on bet on just Tesla or any of the companies in China, for example, but you're also kind of investing in the potential of that industry and you'll benefit from those companies continuing to perform and, and do well over time. Because I agree, I think, I think over time, there's no question that that's going to become a thing. It's already becoming a thing, but it's going to be even more of a bigger thing yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. as time goes on. So I think that's really interesting. So we've talked about kind of the structure of the, the ETFs and maybe kind of what's in them and, and, and under the hood. What are some of the benefits of investing in ETFs, using that as kind of a, a way to generate passive income? Mm-hmm. So the first one I'd start off with is more certainty in your expected returns. And by certainty, I do not mean in any way a guaranteed return. Nothing on the stock market is ever going to be a guaranteed return. <laughs> but <laughs> but at least you have a very long historical performance to reference that's gone through depressions, that's gone through recessions and wars, and now it's gone through the pandemic. You have a, a huge history of horrible catastrophes that have occurred, both world wars, everything that's happened, that it has still maintained its average return of around 10% over those 150 years, that at least can give a lot more peace of mind. Because I know that for a lot of people, one of the huge barriers to investing in the stock market is fear of just losing all your money, that it could Mm -hmm. just disappear one day. And you can sleep a lot better at night being able to reference the historic performance and knowing, okay, if it could survive the Great Depression, if it could survive World War II, I'm not too afraid that having a president that I'm afraid about or or something like that, that that's not going to tank my entire portfolio. In the short term, of course, you never know what's going to happen. But the thing is, in the past, we've had 30% drops out of nowhere. But then over the next 10, 20 years, you're getting back those 10% returns again. Like It it all ends up averaging out over the long run. Uh, Second point would be lower time commitment. Because, again, another thing that people are afraid of when they start investing is I don't want to be spending two hours a day tracking stock data, keeping up with the news, and I need to be beating other investors to the punch to take advantage of opportunities, all that sort of stuff. When you go into an ETF, you're passing off all of the legwork to the management company. So if you invest in VOO, you're passing off all of that legwork to balance your portfolio to Vanguard. It's It's now their job to balance it, make sure it's allocated properly, make sure it has the proper goals, make sure the proper stocks are in there. That's all out of your hands. And so you have no more time commitment than spending maybe one hour a month or one hour a paycheck or even less than that, three minutes a paycheck, investing, putting your money in that fund. Or if you have automatic deposits set up, like I absolutely always talk about constantly at My Money Marathon is automating that sequence. So if you have it automated, I spend absolutely zero time worrying about that every single month just tracking performance periodically open open the app open the website and check and see how it's going but i don't have to spend any time dealing with it or trading or managing it and the last point would be lower fees and taxes so a thing that people don't think about a lot is every time you trade and realize your gains you're going to be taxed on those gains so in the short term if you're trading constantly if you're day trading you're going to be constantly getting taxed on all those returns And sometimes if you have commission trading, though, that's definitely going away nowadays. If you still have commissions on your trades, then you're going to be paying commissions on every single one of those buys and sells that you do, every single one of those transactions. And the other thing is capital gains rates on taxes. So there's a quite substantial difference between short-term and long-term capital gain taxes. And a quick summary on that is just simply 
if you were holding a an asset for less than one year before you you sold it and you realized your gains or losses on it, then you're going to pay taxes from 10 to, I believe it's 37% on those returns, depending on where your tax bracket is. Whereas if you sold them after one year of holding it, then your taxes go between zero and 20%. So at minimum, you're saving 10% on taxes. At most, you're saving 17% on taxes. Mm -hmm. And that can easily wipe out most of, if not all of your returns or even more than the returns that you gain through that investment just in taxes. So if you're investing in ETFs and you're planning to hold them for the indefinite future until you retire or just need to access them in the far future, then you're going to be saving a lot on taxes instead of constantly trading stocks in the short term. Yeah, those are great points. So what kinds of vehicles can you trade the ETFs in? Are they the same as individual stocks? Uh, What do you mean by vehicles? Oh, well, I guess, can you buy and sell them in a Roth, a traditional IRA, a 401k, Hmm. for example? My understanding is you can do all all the same that you can with individual stocks. Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry to understand. Yeah, yeah, you can trade them on pretty much any of the places that you would trade individual stocks. The one slight caveat, like you just brought up, would be a 401k. Many 401ks, including mine, are very restrictive as to what you can invest in. So in my 401k, I can't invest in individual stocks, and I only have a choice of three funds that aren't target funds of some kind. So I'm really locked into my options on a 401k, but anything else, Roth IRA, uh, traditional taxable brokerage account, a high yield savings account that might let you, let you invest, all those sorts of accounts, you can invest in a fund just the same way as you could a stock. Okay. All right. What are the risks of investing in ETFs? There's always so, downsides. So what, what are the potential yeah. downsides? <laughs> yeah, there will always be downsides. So the first one and... The most important, and I think the one that people would probably worry about the most, is that you're missing out on potential returns, usually. So, for example, you could invest in a stock, and it, it could shoot up by 50% the next day. That could that happens all the time, constantly, usually with lower market cap stocks, but still, it happens constantly, nearly every day. And by investing in a fund, you're missing out on that opportunity. Because, like I mentioned before, even if Apple went to zero the next day, you're portfolio if you were only invested in that that index fund would only drop by seven percent and same if apple doubled in price the next day it would only go up by seven percent so you're really you have you have a pretty hard ceiling on the returns that you're going to get from an overall fund because no one stock can influence it too greatly but if you're investing in individual stocks the sky is the limit also the bottom of the sea is the limit on the other side (laughs) right but the sky is the limit on the returns that you could get so if you think that you can make better picks than other people. If you think you can make moves more quickly than other people, see things ahead of time a little bit or analyze stocks in a more proficiently than other people can, then the sky is the limit on your potential future returns. And the other downside that I would mention is a greater lack of control. We've mentioned that we can tweak the fund to focus on what you're interested in and what you believe in for the future to perform the best, but you're never going to be able to tweak it all the way down to an individual stock level. If you really believe that that Apple is producing the best product out there or that the next iPhone is going to be the best phone by far and their stock is going to shoot up because of that, you can only take so much advantage of that in a fund. So, But if you're investing in individual stocks, then you have that sort of control to invest in what exactly you want to invest in. Plus, many funds like the S&P 500 may contain stocks that 
have brands that you don't agree with. For example, if you're very for electric vehicles, you may be very against the oil industry and the gas industry as a whole. But if you're investing in the SP 500, you don't really have the opportunity to tweak that all the way down as much. If you still want to take advantage of all the other assets that the SP 500 has, you're going to have to kind of take that along with it. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. So that's a great point. And something that I have heard some people talk about when they're talking about EVFs, if you, one of the, another, I guess, not danger, but one of the over, you could over diversify or over allocate money to, if you buy certain ETFs and all of them will have, a lot of them will have Microsoft, Google, Tesla, NVIDIA, you know, all the five or six, seven biggest market caps will dominate a lot of ETFs. And if you buy three or four ETFs, it's really important to know what's in those ETFs because otherwise now instead of only having maybe 7% exposure to Apple, for example, you inadvertently may have 28 to 50% of your portfolio, you know, in Apple. And to your point, if it goes down, you know, it could really affect your returns. Likewise, if it goes up, it could also benefit your returns. But if people are trying to, I guess, steer away from certain things or maybe minimize the, their exposure to certain things. It's really important to know what's under the hood of the ETF you're investing in. You know, to your point, there's been, I won't, we won't go into a lot of this, but <laughs> some ESG funds have been accused of not really being ESG because they've included things like you were mentioning oil companies in their funds. And mm-hmm. that, and that just goes to, you know, part of doing our own due diligence is we have to know what we're buying and we have to understand that if you don't like oil companies and you buy an ETF, there's a real good chance that Chevron and Exxon are going to be in that ETF because they're in the top 10, I think still in the market cap. And so if they are, even if they're in the top 15, they're going to have an impact on the returns for that ETF. And so you, you just want to be aware of that and decide how much exposure you want to have to those things. So that's, that's an important, I guess it's not necessarily a risk, but it is kind of a risk to consider. Yeah. yeah I do want to kind of emphasize that a little bit that it's easy to get lost in these funds and real and forget that you are investing in real companies here. Cause it's easy enough to do that on the stock market as a whole. You just kind of see it as a video game you're playing to try and make some virtual money is what it feels like. But it's even easier to lose that when you're investing in a fund because you just see VOO ticker, for example, VTI ticker, and you just see VOO's performance each day. But in reality, when you put money in there, you are investing and sort of giving money to Apple or giving it to Microsoft or Chevron. You're giving that money directly to the company, even if there's one more middleman in between there. But you are still contributing to that company. So it's it's a very real monetary transaction that's occurring and you are helping that company in one way or another. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's move beyond maybe the, like the benefits and the risks. Like if I wanted to start building a portfolio with ETFs, how do I do it? Mm -hmm. So the very first step, just like if you're going to invest in any stock on the stock market is to open up a brokerage. So do some research about what brokerage you it fits your needs the most. If you want a brokerage, it's extremely simple. You may want one that's like Robinhood or Fidelity. It doesn't offer a ton of data behind it, but it makes it very easy to perform transactions and set up future automated transactions and such. Or if you really want to dive into the data and see all the performance, track trends, and try and predict future trends and such, 
then you could use TD Ameritrade and their Thinkorswim platform. So just do a little bit of light research. They're all going to get you to the same point, more or less, but they're going to have a different feature sets that are going to make it easier or more difficult to do certain things. So do a little bit of research on a brokerage. Once you've chosen chosen a brokerage, it takes no more time than five minutes to sign up for it. Just give it some personal info and link a bank account to it, and you're pretty much set, and you can start a deposit into there. Then once you have that deposit settled in there, then which can just take two or three days maybe to settle into the account, once that's settled in there, you're completely let loose to be able to invest that money in what you want to invest in. So it would be as simple as just going on the brokerage, searching VOO, VTI, whatever fund or stock that you're interested in investing in, give it that ticker, tell it how much of that stock you want to purchase, how many shares of that stock you want to purchase. And after that transaction settles, you're going to be completely free and clear. And you now own some of that stock or some of that index fund. And I would Definitely recommend that if you want to invest in that in the long term, while you're there, set up recurring automatic investments into it because it's far too easy to open up an account, throw five bucks in there, and then that five bucks stays in there indefinitely and you completely forget about it. Right. So it's to me, it's very, very important to set up those automatic recurring investments so you don't have to remember, so you never forget about it or you never skip out on it one month or decide I'd rather put that money into shoes or a new gadget or something that money's going straight out of your bank account like a just like a normal expense just like rent whether you want it to or not but at that point you're totally free and clear and you own it so i guess a common theme in stock picking investing is a well-diversified portfolio is anywhere from 10 to 20 stocks depending on who you talk to it could be more or less than that it just really comes down to investor with etfs i'm envisioning less so you could literally probably buy one and be well, well on your way to where you need to go. So how, like, depending on what your, like, how do you determine what are your goals and what, how much, like how much investing do you really need to do? Like with ETFs, do you need to be constantly paying attention or is it just pick two or three things and kind of not set it and forget it, but kind of set it and forget it and, and move on? What, I guess, what are your thoughts on any of that? Yeah, so my thoughts would definitely be the more so the quote-unquote set it and forget it method here. Because when you invest in most funds, you're going to be getting at least hundreds of stocks, if not thousands of stocks at one time. Now, the caveat to that is, like you mentioned, they're weighted by market cap. So Apple takes up a very large percent of it. Microsoft, Chevron, all those companies take up large percents of the funds. But even at that point, if we look at the, the largest stock on the S&P 500, Apple takes up 7%, that still doesn't take up any more of your portfolio than a well-diversified portfolio would. Because like you mentioned, 10 to 12 stocks to have a well-diversified portfolio, that would mean that each individual stock is taking up no more than 10% of your portfolio. So if you just stuck with one index fund that purchased the S&P 500, Apple still hasn't passed that threshold of taking up too much being overly overly contributing to that stock in your portfolio and then everything below that of course you have hundreds of hundreds of more stocks that are further diversifying it there and in my opinion if you're investing in more than three funds or so even more than two funds you're sort of diluting all of the other stocks that make up the the lower portions of those funds. You're not really diluting yourself away from the Apples, the Microsoft, because they make up such a large chunk of the funds, but all of the other, like the, the other two, 200 to 500 stocks that make up those funds, the lower 300 stocks, 
those are just completely obliterated in terms of the effect that they're going to have on your portfolio. So I would personally recommend sticking with just one stock, one fund that is, because then all of those individual stocks that make up those funds can actually have some sort of an impact on your portfolio. Because we, we don't want to be exposed to too much risk, but we want to be exposed to enough risk that we can earn returns here. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're just diluting it to the point that stocks are constantly shooting up and shooting down and everything's just balancing out and you're never getting anything from it. Right. Yeah, exactly. One of the, I think one of the popular misconceptions out there in the investing world is a lot of people think that you have to be one or the other. And there's a bit of machoism, if you will, about stock pickers. And I hate that. (laughs) And I think a lot of people don't realize that you can buy ETFs and you can also buy individual stocks and vice versa. You can be an individual stock picker and buy an ETF to balance out something you haven't been able to fill in your individual stock. You can easily mix and match if you want to. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. And there's lots of successful investors that do that kind of thing. That is a, a very, very good point. You can use index funds or funds as a whole. You can use funds as a tool in your portfolio for diversification. That doesn't just have to mean that. that is your one sole method of investing. And that's how you get well diversified. There was quite a while when I was into stock picking, sort of not constantly day trading, but still trying to, to make my own individual stock picks where I was using index funds to make up about 50, 60% or so of my portfolio so that the majority of my por- portfolio was well diversified and more or less stable. And then the other percent I was able to play with. I still wasn't making very risky picks, but it allowed me to know that, okay, if I make a bad pick here, my a quarter of my portfolio isn't going to go to zero. That's not going to happen because I have so much stability behind me. So you can definitely use it as a tool to, again, give you more peace of mind. All of the benefits of funds just kind of scale down a little bit. You get that peace of mind, but also enough freedom to to make your own decisions, have fun with it. A lot of people absolutely enjoy picking stocks. It's a fun mm-hmm. hobby to try and analyze and try and make decisions about these behemoth companies that make up hundreds of millions of dollars. It's fun to try and make those predictions. So if you enjoy it as a hobby or just trying to do a little bit of stock picking on the side, funds as a whole can be a great way to diversify and provide a little bit of backbone to your portfolio. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually what I've done for my daughter. I have a, I have a retirement or a fund, I guess a college fund, if you will, that mm-hmm. I started for my daughter. She's 10. And so I bought an S&P 500. I bought VOO for her and as kind of the backbone. And then I talked to her about things that she wanted to buy. So she, of course, chose Roblox and uh, Spotify and Disney and uh, what was the the fourth one? Shoot, I'm blanking on the fourth one. But um, he was a risky picker. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, so that's why that's why I went with the uh, the S and P 500 because you know some of those companies, you know, a couple of them will probably do very, very, very well. But you know, some of the other ones, is, you know, it's it's too early to know. And so I figured that by having the ETF that kind of balances out, it's about 50% of our portfolio right now. And I just figure that that helps balance out the riskier picks, but it also starts the conversation with her about, you know, these are companies, they aren't just, you know, toys that she plays with or things that she watches on TV. These are actual companies and it kind of helps spur it, but it also makes her interested because she, she loves a Roblox. And so, you know, she asked now, she literally asked me today, how did Roblox do in this quarter, dad? And I'm like, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I got to look it up. So she's starting to be aware. So it's it's kind of cool. But I think it's important for people to know that they can kind of mix and match and do uh, like your point earlier. If they want to dabble with stocks and, you know, do it on the side because they enjoy it, but maybe they know that the returns are really going to come from the ETFs, then, you know, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. And you never know, you know, somebody may hit a big with with one of the companies that they're dabbling with. You know, the, we're always all looking for the next Amazon, right? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who knows who who knows if we can ever find it? Yeah. <laughs> no, that that's absolutely awesome. Yeah, that especially for beginners, ETFs are a great way to go. Even if in the long term you want to get into stock picking, it can be great to initially just dip your toe in index funds, get get experience purchasing stocks up front, maybe setting up automatic investments, making your way around a brokerage, all that sort of stuff. Get used to it with index funds where you're not risking too much, more or less. And then over time, start introducing more and more individual stocks. And if you eventually want to phase out the funds, once you feel totally comfortable and you you're, you rely on your skills and, and you expect to get solid returns from your individual stock picks, then there's there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing locking you in forever. Like I mentioned, I would recommend at least making sure that you've held that asset for more than a year to try and minimize the taxes that you pay on it. But past that, totally up to you to sell it whenever you want to and and start trading around and making your own decisions. Right. So how does somebody track their performance for any, is it the same as a stock, as a stock pick? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly the same in your brokerage. It'll usually just organize it by ticker by company. So you can see your overall target performance, your total gain loss is what they call it. So just how much you've gained or how much you've lost in percents or dollar amounts. And it'll show up just the same. So I could see target, I've overall gained 5% and VOO, I've overall gained 5%. You could see it absolutely just the same. And you could also always go into that individual ticker and see the stock chart over time of its performance. And you can kind of correlate that to the real world. And you can definitely see the dip that occurred during COVID and then Mm -hmm. the recovery and then the subsequent dip again, once supply chain issues started hitting everybody a little harder and you can, you can see that performance and how it's affected over time. And that's, that's also something that I sort of enjoy about an index fund like VOA for the S&P 500 is that it's more greatly affected by the state of the U.S., I guess you'd say, because a company like Apple, for example, may not be affected. Of course, they have been, but by COVID, because everybody's been affected by COVID, but there may be some sort of a U.S. overall event that doesn't touch Apple and they're not affected mm-hmm. But VOO, you're going to see that. And also, if there's a surge in the U.S. overall that maybe doesn't affect consumer electronics, Apple may not get touched, but you're going to see that in one way or another in VOO. So you can go back, track the performance, and kind of see how the overall world events and people's outlook, because that's what it really is, is whether people are fearful or greedy at that time, whether they're positive or, or negative on the outlook of the U.S. as a whole, you'll be able to kind of see that correlation between them. Yeah. So that's a great point. How much do you check your portfolio and how much do you recommend somebody check their portfolio? I would say that I probably check it once a week or so. And by check it, I literally mean open the app, see what it says, and then instantly close it. This isn't diving into it and saying, oh, well, why is it that return or seeing the the history? Because again, there's when you own a fund, there could be an infinite number of factors that affect it. One company that makes up 3% of the portfolio could have had a really bad day and you don't know about it. And that caused a, a, a 
a noticeable dip in the fund overall. There could just be so many factors behind it. So I don't dive into it too much, but probably once a week, I'll just take a glance at it, see where I'm at. I would say that that's a reasonable time period to check your portfolio. I would say you could also lengthen it out even more if you wanted every two, four weeks or once a month would be totally realistic because with a fund, at least with most funds that own hundreds or thousands of stocks, you don't want to be trading them constantly. There's too many underlying factors. You're not going to really be predicting anything there. When you're purchasing an individual stock or trading an individual stock, you can make better predictions on how that how the outlook of that company is. But when you have 100 companies behind a fund, you're not going to be able to analyze every single one of those companies and correlate and say, oh, they all look like they're about to do well or they all look like they're about to do poorly. That's not a reasonable prediction to make, not to mention, of course, paying taxes on every time you do those trades. But so just checking it often enough that you know what's going on, that you can see that, okay, everything's significantly down. And that may be a time to contribute even a little bit more to take advantage of the lower stock prices, assuming you still believe in the future of the U.S., of course. Right. Or um, if you see that it's up, you just get a little bit of a boost realizing that, okay, this money that I'm putting in here is it's going to turn into something and I'm going to actually be making something from it. So just often enough to kind of have a ballpark idea, but the danger is really checking it too often because that will make you easily, uh, that will emotionally tie you to the performance of your portfolio. Essentially, when you see that it's up, you get excited and you want to put more in, even though that's exactly when you definitely don't want to be putting more in because all the prices are surging and you're just going along with everybody else's excitement. Or when it's down, you're going to get afraid and think, why do I do this? Maybe you're going to want to cancel your future recurring investments, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. You definitely want to stay with away from checking it too often. So I would say no more often than a week would be a, a safe place to be. You, you don't want to be checking those that short-term performance because what you're really looking with, with just about any stock like value investing like you and Andrew are absolutely into or investing in a fund, you don't want to be checking it too often because you're looking for one, five, 10, 20 year performance. You're looking at a very long-term outlook. Mm-hmm. And so who cares what the performance is today? That that doesn't right. matter to you. That's not going to affect anything. I'm weird. I don't remember the last time I checked it. It might've been last week. I'm not sure. I don't, mm-hmm. but I go through spurts and I look at it like I'm a big baseball nerd. Everybody that listens to the show knows I love baseball. And to me, it's like looking up the box scores for what happened the day before. And so I'll look at the stock market and go, oh, okay, Juan Soto was 0 for 4 again. Dang it. Or, you know, something like that. So that's kind of my mindset because I, you know, when I look at the companies that I own, for the most part, unless there's something tragically going on, I'm not really going to do anything with them. I may buy more, but I won't. Very rarely will I sell. I even I haven't even sold Intel yet, and that's just been a dog for the last year plus. So I'll probably ask my sanity about why I'm still holding that, but that's a whole other conversation. But I think you know at this point, I think for me, it I just check it because I want to see how it's doing. It doesn't affect me mentally either way. But I know not everybody's like that, and I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. Far from it, but. It's just, I know that everybody has to, you know, they have to do what's going to be best for them. Yeah. I know that in the beginning, the first stock I invested in was AMC and that's pretty much all you need to know. Um, (laughs) Everything just went absolutely downhill. And so I definitely got in in a phase of checking it multiple times a day. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because it was fluctuating so often and there was so much question about the future of it. Oh yeah. I was checking it constantly. And I mean, that didn't 
do anything for me. I definitely fell into FOMO a couple times mm-hmm. of seeing it ramp up and it's like, well, dang, I want to be along with that. And then you buy in and then it dips right back down and you're absolutely right. screwed. It's, I, I've been there. I've done that in getting emotionally tied into it. And then pretty much once AMC was down at like seven bucks or something and I got out of there and cut my losses past that, I, I've realized that that is just, that, that's not for me being in a situation where I need to check it so often. It was definitely a source of stress. I didn't have any massive amount of money in it, but still having pretty much any amount of money in there that you're right. yeah, enough <laughs> that, that a return would be, would be decent for your life. That's, that's too much money to just be thrown around there and constantly checking yeah yeah exactly all right evan well this has been a lot of fun and i know i've learned a lot and i know our listeners will have learned a lot and i thank you for your time so where could people go to learn more about you and what you got going on and maybe if they had any questions about anything we talked about how they could reach out to you to learn more about what you're doing and you could kind of help guide other investors so where could people find you online yeah, absolutely. So the primary place would be my blog online at mymoneymarathon.com. That would be the primary place you could learn more about the topics I'm interested in and the topics I have knowledge on and such. And I've definitely covered a lot about automating investing, passive investing, ETFs, that sort of stuff, because that's really, that's my bread and butter. And that's also what I genuinely believe in most people taking advantage of instead of overall in general stock picking, because so many people don't invest at all because they're afraid of stock picking. When in reality, is there's this other option out there that a lot of people don't consider. So that would be the primary place. The other two places would be on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, my handle is Money Marathoner. And then on Instagram, it's underscore My Money Marathon. And on either of those places, if you just DM'd me, I would absolutely get in touch with you right away. If you had any questions, if you wanted to just learn more about my brand and what I stand for and all that sort of stuff, either of those would be a great place to do it. And I'm also posting... A lot of content on both of them. Twitter is, as always, like a little bit more unfiltered of what my my views are. Like you were just talking about earlier, the the macho side of stock picking. Obviously, not every stock picker is like that, but there are a lot of people saying, "Why the heck aren't you generating two hundred percent returns? Why aren't you spending five hours a day stock picking?" And that sort of stuff peeves me off a lot. So, if you want those unfiltered point of views, Twitter is a great place to go. And Instagram, a lot more sort of infographics to teach a topic sort of as quickly as possible in in an aesthetic way. So depending on what kind of content you're more interested in, Twitter, Instagram, and get a hold of me either way, or there's also a contact form on the website. So any of those three places would work perfectly. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm going to put all the links to all those places in the show notes. So if anybody is listening in their car and they're like, Hey, I really like what Evan's saying later, you can look on your podcast app or on our website and you'll be able to find the links to go check out what he's doing. So I recommend it. It's great stuff. Uh, we, we really like Evan a lot and we've actually invited him to contribute to our blog from time to time as well. So he does some, he drops some great stuff for us as well. So a uh, great resource, especially if you want to learn more about ETFs as Andrew and I are not experts by any stretch. So uh, thank you, Evan, for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. And again, Andrew will be back next week. We're actually recording this off schedule, but Andrew will be back very soon. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Enjoy. Have a great week. And everybody go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time.
Have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and/or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at eInvestingForBeginners.com.